This is just a, a lean, mean, violent, bloody, well-paced horror film. You know, it doesn't seem like much. It's kind of an offhanded, drunky conversation between a, a patron and a bartender, but so much unfolds during that short scene. It was so terrifying, he locked up his house and turned off the security system and poured himself a scotch. <laughs> Hope you've had a good meal, something that sticks to the ribs, you know, because you're going to need something to soak it up. We're headed to the bars. And they get liquored up. Not really. But uh, we're headed there for some horror. Our favorite bars in horror movies. And this one, was is this an homage or is this an original this, idea? Uh, it was a little bit homage, yeah. No, yeah we stole it from, uh, I think it was Brandon and Jason were talking about it. A while back, a couple of months back at a, a Fright Club happy hour, appropriately enough. <laughs> that is very appropriate. Having some libations in a bar before we watch a horror movie we were talking that tends, about. Yeah. That tends to happen. So welcome. This is the Fright Club podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from madwolf.com. So yeah, so we'll just get an early plug right now for the next Fright Club Live, which is coming up soon. That is going to be October the 9th at Gateway Film Center where we all, always are, and we're going to watch the Train to Busan. That's a Lo- favorite. It is. Love that one. It's so, you know, uh, exciting and fast-moving, and it made me cry the first time I saw it. And so, yeah, I'm excited. I'm super excited to get to see that again on the big screen. And that's one that everybody has seen. You rarely find anyone that has a bad word, a negative uh, view of that film. Oh, exactly. So I think everybody that hasn't seen it, and there's always a good number of people, which I love, mm-hmm. that come out to Fright Club Live that haven't seen the film. I think they're going to like it. And vehicular horror. That should be interesting as well. But uh, we're getting our head of, ahead of ourselves. Well, actually, we should back up a little bit because last time, last Fright Club, it was amusements. Yeah. And um, we got some nice reaction to our trip to the amusement parks. We did. Well, I want to thank Seth, who really enjoyed the show. He came out to the Fright Club live and said some nice things on Twitter. And then Phantom Dark Dave, our other good friend, who called the number one. He knew it from the beginning, and he was correct, of course. And so did Richard. Yeah, so did Richard. You're right. Richard also called number one. Uh, And then the other thing, though, that just made us think of Sid Haig's passing. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure if you're a horror fan, you know that. Uh, And really, it's something that wasn't hugely surprising because we had heard that he was in bad ill health. Yes. Um, so, uh, yeah. But it's still always sad. I mean, you, you were saying uh, when we were talking a few a few podcasts back and about gas stations and mm-hmm. Jen uh, Dreadful, right, brought up House of a Thousand Corpses and we just got on a rant about said, hey, because he yeah. just, you know, he's been in everything. Oh, we yeah. saw him one time late at night at Burns Pub. They had Heart to Heart, that old 80s TV yes. show. For some reason was and on TV was. and there he was, Sid <laughs> And you know what was really nice? Uh, after the news got out of his passing, I started to see so many people on Facebook sharing pictures they had taken with him. Oh, yeah. Over the years. Uh, Twitter as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At all the different conventions. And and time after time, people were saying just how nice he was. Went out of the way to take a picture, you know, stage a picture, a certain thing, instead of just come and get out. Mm -hmm. You know, so that was really nice. So, uh, yeah, he had an incredible career, not just in horror movies and not just in bad 80s TV shows (laughs) with Stephanie Powers and Robert Wagner. Oh, my God. That's right. That's who they were. (laughs) But he goes back to, uh, oh, man, some of those uh, Pam Greer movies. I mean, just just what a career. What a career. So uh, RIP for Sid Haig. Um, okay, so we're going to get into the bars, and, well, we should say, we're, we're, we both have some some qualifications here. We both, we both tended <laughs> spent bar. Spent a little time in bars. Yeah, we, have, well, we spent some time. <laughs> we also worked in That's bars. That's right, yeah, we did. I tended bar for years, and, then, uh, and so did you. So, uh, 
it's something that it was great at the time. Never want to do it again. Oh, my God, no. Never. Never want to do it again, especially when we think about some of the one places here in town that uh, that both of us worked and, and some of the worst bathrooms. Oh, we, yeah. we rank those sometimes. We oh, do. Remember the bathroom in that one place you oh, worked? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Street scene. <laughs> it was like a war zone, that bathroom. <laughs> it was. Oh, we could have a podcast just on the stories <laughs> from our days bartending. Yes. But we're not going to do that. He because peed. That's a punchline for one of George's stories. He peed. Yeah, that went. That one got out of control fast. <laughs> that might have been the the genesis for the idea in Anchorman for things escalated quickly. Because boy, when that guy peed on the floor, things escalated quickly. You know what? Come to a Fry Club Live. Seek me out. I'll tell you that story. I will. Because, but, but not now. We got to get to bars in horror, and we have some fuzzy math. It's been a while, but we have some fuzzy math. We do. So mainly, the the movies that are on the list are movies where the bar figures very prominently in the film. Mm-hmm. But there are so many great movies where the bar is just like a one off, but you can't forget it. That mm-hmm. I wanted to honor all of those, and then choose one to be the the one that actually made the list. Okay. So, so the number six is one where there's just really two scenes, but um, but mm-hmm. beloved to oh, us. Beloved. And at number six, 1981 from An American Werewolf in London, The Slaughtered Lamb. You're right. It is a pub. Okay, well, what do you say? We go in for a little food, huh? drink, rest? The Slaughtered Lamb. That's kind of strange. Where's the lamb? It's probably inside getting cold. Come on. No, really. What kind of ad is that for a pub? I don't know. Would you rather the Hilton? All right. But whatever happens, it's, it's your fault. fault. Right. All right, come on. Excuse me! Well, what's that star on the wall for? This one for us is memorable just because of the guy that says, Enough! That's enough! 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 <laughs> That's one of those movie quotes we just say to ourselves all the time. We do. And you think it would be when, like, we're fighting or something, and, oh, enough! But no, we just, enough! <laughs> so feel free to take Did that you for yourself. Did you want some more soup? Enough! <laughs> yeah. But so shout out to Brian Glover. He's the actor. Yes, he uh, is. He's the enough guy, exactly. Yeah. When uh, when the other guy starts spilling too many <gasps> secrets, yes. he shuts him up with a good old enough. Yeah, so, but before uh, that happens, of course, because the other guy, he's spilling secrets to the doctor who's trying to figure out what's going right, on. Right. But, you know, back at the bar, right, when poor David and Jack are freezing and on the moors, and uh, and they go in to have just something warm, and you know, in those puffy puffy they jackets. They do have those puffy jackets. I'm on. surprised that it didn't really protect him from a werewolf. <laughs> those things are so puffy <laughs> when you look at it now. But yeah, they don't exactly get a warm welcome. They don't, and you, and I like, I wonder this to myself. You know why? I've always wondered why did they throw them out when they knew what was going to happen? Because that's like a say it with me. Lamb to the slaughter. That's what. No, seriously. <laughs> that's what they pretty much do uh, because they know what's going to happen. Even though they beware of the moors and all that, they know what's going to happen. They know what's out there. Yeah, but they didn't have to do it because what they did was, of course, create another werewolf. Yeah, they didn't exactly have to do right. it. Yeah. It's a catalyst. I understand that, but I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, Dan, they are mean. But it's yeah. a, it's a great scene, and the slaughtered lamb is such a great name for a bar, and especially Griffin Dunn's character is like, what is that? What is that about? And that the sign. <laughs> Not exactly welcoming, no. but they go in anyway. It's actually, um, it's in the village, the tiny village of Crickendarn, which takes the place of East Proctor in the movie. And the slaughtered lamb is actually a cottage located there. It's about six miles southeast of Bulleth Wells, Wales. 
and that's the place to mark on your if you're going to take a vac you know a, a vacation looking for landmarks oh, and yeah. you find yourself in Wales. Oh yeah. First of all, beware the moors. Oh yeah, exactly. But uh, go track that down because that would be interesting. Oh my God, that'd be the, the best. The little cottage, the little bloody cottage. <laughs> but there are some other you know movies that have one great or one or two great scenes that take place in the bar, and the rest of the film, you know, it's not necessary to move the plot forward, but it's still a great scene. Yeah, and the, I think the rest, because the rest of the movies on this list are really centered yeah, around the, the entire, yeah, yeah the entire film is centered in the bar. But there is a great bar scene in Near Dark, where Bill Paxton, you know, they're trying to get uh, the the newbie to go ahead and drink some blood and, and you know, finalize his transformation. So they're all just in there hanging out, and they are going to kill so many rednecks in this bar. <laughs> but it's mainly, it's just Bill Paxton in all of his glory. Right. It's such a fun scene. Right, right. But that's you're right. That's just a one-off. Same as the very, very memorable bar scene in Calvert. Oh, my God. I love that scene so much. <laughs> of course, we love everything about the movie Calvert. And anytime I can get it on a list, I try. But that that dance... Well, Holy Lord. That scene, that same scene, made it into our dance countdown. Yes, it did. Yeah, so it qualifies as a, a one-off for a bar and then a very memorable dance because <laughs> it's really the dance that drives that scene, not oh, the bar so much. No, you're right. The piano melody. <laughs> Could you call that a melody? <laughs> and the dance. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and then uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. That bar scene, it's funny that when the film came out, it seemed as though people didn't realize... What a sort of an iconically gay film A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 mm-hmm. is. And it is, top to bottom. You know, every scene. <laughs> sorry. I what you I, did there. <laughs> sorry. But the bar scene is really what, what clinches it for you. It, like, if you were curious for a while. <laughs> oh. <then> you, <laughs> you just yeah. won't stop, will you? <laughs> then you get to this bar scene, you're like, oh, I see. And then it goes from there to the gym and to the whips and the chains. It's like, oh, I may as well be watching Hellraiser. This movie is just, so... Cue the village people and, and go with it. Yeah, uh, but the bar scene is really where, even if the uh, character hasn't quite figured out that the movie he's in is very, very gay, <laughs> the audience has. And it's a great scene, and I love, I love that, especially only two films into the franchise, that the franchise took that turn. Yeah. Like, Good for you. Exactly. No, it is, it, it is interesting. And uh, one we just saw... Just a few weeks ago, Knife Plus Heart. Yeah, and there are a couple of good bar scenes in that one, but the one that really I'm thinking about is kind of a kind of a cabaret that the main character goes to and watches, well, some cabaret and then has some cocktails. And it's a, and it's a moving scene, and it's a weird one, but it's also, I thought, very, very memorable. Mm-hmm, true. And then Irreversible. Yeesh. Yeah, and if, if you remember the name of that bar, it's The Rectum. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, and some guy gets a serious beatdown, and that is very, very memorable. Plus, with almost anything with Gaspar Noe, it's the way he shoots it. Of course. And he just go through, goes through that sea of people with that camera until the one man is found who he thinks is the perpetrator of the rape. And uh, But anyway, uh, Irreversible, yeah, that's a very memorable scene in the bar. So those were a few that just have that one instead of being centered around uh, the movie centered around the, the bar for pretty much its entirety. And that's where we're going to go for the rest of this list, correct? Correct. All right. And we made pains to find out, or at least try to find out, the name of the bar in each of these movies. Some correct. were harder to find out than others. Yeah. Some you just know, but there were others where, yeah, it took some it took some sleuthing. Yeah, so at number five, in case you've forgotten the name of the bar in The Overlook, in The Shining from 1980, The Gold Room. No charge to you, Mr. Torrance. No charge? Your money's no good here. 
orders from the house. Orders from the house. Drink up, Mr. Thomas. I'm the kind of man likes to know who's buying their drinks, Lloyd. That's a scene that we quote a lot as well. well. A little slow tonight. I mean, you can just go on and on and on. So many quotes with Lloyd in this scene. Not only that, but uh, recently at the Gateway Film Center, they had an art exhibit of celluloid. It was images, still images, actually the yes. film itself. Yeah. And that's that's the image that we bought was was that big, happy Jack Nicholson yeah. face after he makes that funny joke, little, little slow tonight, isn't it, Lloyd? Yeah, that was from, that was an exhibit from Rachel. That's right. Uh, the tech. Rachel the, Barbash, who yeah. is, yeah, uh, who is Lead, a projectionist there. Yeah, mm-hmm. at, at the Gateway. And a really, really nice exhibit. And I'd like to think that uh, we'd like to fool ourselves and that we only bought that one. But that's, <laughs> that's not the case. No, we not dropped a lot case. of cash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's such a memorable scene, not only in how it starts out, and, of course, the interaction between Lloyd and uh, Mr. Torrance, uh, but, but then where it goes. Oh, yeah. Because when he eventually meets up with Grady. Oh, yeah. And we've talked about that before. Even that, even though that doesn't happen in the bar, it happens in the bathroom. Right. But because that, of what happens in the because bar. Because of what happens mm-hmm. in the bar, yeah. But that power shift, oh. I love it so much. Yeah. I'm sorry to differ with you, sir. But you are the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker. I mean, it's really the whole movie hinges on that scene. Oh, yes. Yeah, because that's what <laughs> I'm just laughing because I immediately started thinking the, of the, the shinning. shinning. Of course you did. The <laughs> Simpsons. Uh, and, and, of course, the bartender was played by Mo. Of course it was. You know, me and the ghouls were a little unhappy <laughs> about how it's going here. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it, it's so creepy, and the cold, sterile nature of Lloyd. Yes, you know, uh, counter contrasting with the crazy manic nature of Jack Nicholson mm-hmm. works perfectly. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as as you start figuring out that what mission they want him to accomplish. Yeah, it is. It's really the centerpiece. Yeah. The, of the entire film, and actually, it is. It is. Speaking of catalysts, it's the catalyst for another of the crazy theories about the hidden meanings in The Shining. There are so many. I mean, if you haven't seen the documentary Room 237... You should! Please. I mean, some of these are just out there. But there's one that centers on the Gold Room that suggests that Kubrick used that setting as a launching point for a statement on America's abandonment of the gold standard by which U.S. (laughs) currency was backed up by corresponding reserves of gold. And this goes on and on and on. That one, this this theory was not included in Room 237. No. But they can't fit them all in. There's no, so can't. many out there. I know. And this one, I mean, you want to hear about it? You want to read about it? Look it up. It's out there. And it's crazy. But if you want to take this scene, though, as far as character development, there's, there's so much going on in this scene because, of course, here is where Mr. Torrance finally gets back on the booze. Right. You know. White man's burden, Lloyd. Yep. And then he's he's failing his responsibilities as a husband and father, and then he's paying the price for sliding back into substance abuse. And it's right there that he chooses that moment to pretty much confess his yeah. sins to Lloyd. Right. It's a very slyly complicated scene. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like much. It's kind of an offhanded, 
drunky conversation between a, a patron and a bartender, but so much unfolds during that short scene. But then again, I mean, it's it's really the heartbeat of the film. Yeah, exactly right. And that's why it's included on our list, and it comes in at number five, The Gold Room and the Overlook from The Shining. Moving up to number four, this is one that uh, I couldn't have told you the name of this bar in this movie, but it's a it's a movie that we've talked about a few times because it's so much fun. From 2012, the movie is Grabbers, and the bar is Mayors. It's always the quiet places where the mad shit happens. They're pilot whales. They died at sea. I can't be self a sea monster. This is something totally different. Something, something alien. You don't believe me? If we taint our blood with booze, we'll poison a sweet. Mm. Uh. Stay out of the rain, and we drink. Tequila! She's out of the door. Got all under control. There's none trying to kill you. It's a poop. It's a poop. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and in this one, the bar is so important to the movie because it's all about being invaded by blood-sucking aliens, and you have to get drunk. That's the only way to survive. That's so right, you because your, be blood, in a bar. your blood is poison to them at that point. Uh, and, it's, uh, so, and it's also, it's an Irish film. And that's a profoundly Irish film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is uh, director John Wright and writer Kevin Lahane. And it's so much fun. It's incredibly fun. It's such a great concept, you know. That it is. It's one of those that's so genius. It's so simply genius. You're like, that's one of the, why didn't I think of that? Like when the first time we saw 40 Days of Night, and it's yeah. like, oh, of my course. God, it's night for that long. Why right. didn't everybody said a vampire movie there. Of, of course. Right. Yeah, this is, it's just absolutely ideal. And it's, the execution is hilarious. Um, and it's always fun, you know, this idea that well, basically they're all just going to get plowed. And so all your characters get very drunk. And, of course, you've got the very straight-laced uh, cop. So watching her get drunk is really the fun thing. But also, you know, of the bars on this list, Mare's is the one I'd want to go to. There's just, you know, it's just a lot of camaraderie there. It's a lot of, well, drinking. Yeah. And really a great idea from the director, John Wright. He took the actors Richard Coyle and Ruth Bradley out drinking before he started filming and then filmed them while they were drunk. And so they discovered a lot of quirks about themselves. Seriously, they were drunk. That they used in the performance. I don't think I'd want to see that, really. You know, you get out and you have a few. And I then, know I don't want to know, see me drunk. You, no. you wake up the next day, did I say something out of line? What did I, you know? Well, You're I a really happy drunk. I am. You I are am. a really happy drunk. I'm not a violent fighting drunk no. at all. That's right. You're just happy and sweet. Uh, but still, I don't want to, I don't want no. to see it. But uh, I think that's a great vehicle to use to try to uh, let the actors, you know, use use their no, that's, performance. That's brilliant. But I also love the catalyst. Why wow, we keep saying that word? It's a good <laughs> word. The uh, the 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 inspiration for uh, writer Kevin Lehane's idea. He was backpacking across, well, just really across the country, and he kept being bitten by mosquitoes. And he heard an urban legend that eating a big that uh, eating marmite. It's kind of like um, Vegemite, I guess, uh -huh. over there. Uh, vitamin B rich spread prevents mosquito bites. Then he started wondering where the mosquitoes got hung over if they, if they bit drunk people's blood. <laughs> and then boom, boom, then it's like there. And you know that's premise beach. It's right. It's right. He's getting savaged by mosquitoes, and look what came out of it—a really fun horror comedy. It, that's exactly what this movie is. It is so much fun. And you know what? For a low-budget sci-fi monster movie, it looks great. It really does, and it doesn't take long for you to notice that the grabber. 
the grabber is kind of characteristic of uh, the face hugger. Yeah, in, yeah, in definitely. Alien. <laughs> and it has a, some different kind of nods, homages, if you will, <laughs> to the, especially when recreating that famous scene about get away from her, you bitch. Oh, yeah. Love that. So, you know, if you're going to go with it, go with go it. Go with I like it. That. Just Embrace ha- it. Just have fun with it. And this one is noteworthy for me because it contains the Wilhelm scream. What? Yes. When the skipper is grabbed overboard. <gasps> Hear a little Wilhelm scream. You in know there. what we'll have to do at some point, George? This will be on you. Podcast of just the best Wilhelm scream oh, movies. Oh, man. Yeah. That's, uh, you mean I got to do it? <laughs> Jeez Louise. <laughs> I think you're right. I think I'd like to hang out at uh, at Mayor's for grabbers. I don't want to have anyone filming me. <laughs> I don't want to see it the next day. But uh, as for a fun film, this one is Grabbers from 2012, number four on our list of bar horror. And moving up to number three, this is one probably that jumped to the top of your mind. It did me when we started thinking about this one. This is from 2004, Shaun of the Dead. And this title of a bar didn't take any research at all. Of course, it's the Winchester. Where's safe? Where's familiar? Where can I smoke? Take on, go to Mum's, kill Phil, sorry, grab Liz, go to the Winchester, have a nice cold pint, and wait for all this to blow over. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Yeah, boy! How's that for a slice of fried gold? (laughs) There are so many quotable lines from this movie. I mean, it's just lousy with them. I cannot believe it's 15 years old. That's crazy to me. It really is. It really is. It's it's one that, as we've talked about this film and the whole trilogy many times, part of that Cornetto trilogy that is with uh, Fuzz, Hot Fuzz. Oh, Hot Fuzz is so and, great. And then The World's End, which has so many bars in it itself. That's just a, a trip through a bunch of bars. Yep. And, of course, Cornettos appear in the film because uh, Edgar Wright says he once ate a Cornetto to get over a hangover. And thought it would be funny if Ed did the same thing after a night of drinking. So it just be, kind of <laughs> came a running gag, and now it's the name of that trilogy. But this one, the way it's, I think it was the first introduction to Edgar Wright's style of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And one of the best ways to see that is it's so visual. There, it, it, yeah, it's, it's so amazing. So. It really is, especially when they're breaking down their ideas. Well, we heard some of it in that clip yeah. about what's the best way to deal with this. Yeah. And then, yeah, we'll go get mom. And then they're all like happy and <laughs> dancing out, yeah. you know, and everybody's so happy. And sorry, yeah. Philip. And they just, you know, it's, right. uh, it, it is. It's a really, it, it's a really visually interesting film. And the visuals move the story forward so that right. you always feels very quick paced. That's the thing. We always talk about in our movie reviews of, of horror films or, or any film that it's a visual medium. And so you want to show, not tell. And this type, Edgar Wright, I think, in this movie especially, combines the two so well. Yeah, he does. Because he's not just showing, and he's not just telling. He kind of lets the showing fill in the gaps, and as you just said, move it forward just a little bit. And, And plus, it's darn funny. It's so funny, and uh, and you know, and it it has many homages, mainly to Night of the oh, Living Dead, of so course. Many. I mean, but uh, but then it also just does really funny things, like uh, you know, uh, pop music of the '80s, yeah. and every scene is crammed with some funny visual or a great line. Yeah, uh, and then of course everything takes you back to the Winchester. Yeah, and as you said, so many homages, and I also love that you get hints, but you're never really told just what the 
what caused this zombie invasion. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like when they, in the, the Ocean's uh, Eleven, when they start to tell Matt Damon, whatever you do, don't, and then they're pulled away. <laughs> <laughs> they start to tell, and then something gets interrupted, which I think is funny. I mean, yeah, it I just adds to the fun of this. And then I love it at the end, just before the credits, uh, Simon Pegg makes the a joke reference to the sequel that's coming soon, Shaun of the Dead 2 from Dusk Till Shaun, <laughs> which is a great title. Why that hasn't happened, I don't know. Get on that. Uh, yeah, from Dusk Till Shaun is great. You know, I think we missed the, the opportunity to mention is also uh, the songs. The way he uses music, especially in the Winchester, mm-hmm. especially the jukebox songs, but the way he uses it, and you see it again, of course, in Baby Driver, but it's it's so much fun. Everything about this movie is so full of energy. It's, uh, it's just, it's a joy to watch. Yeah, no doubt about it. The Winchester from Shaun of the Dead in 2004, number three on a list of horrific bars. Moving it up to number two, another one that immediately came to mind. When you gave me this uh, this topic, actually, I think I mentioned it last podcast, did I not? You from, mentioned it a lot. <laughs> from 1996, let's all go to the Titty Twister from dusk till dawn. For your viewing pleasure, the mistress of the macabre, the epitome of evil, the most sinister woman to ever dance on the face of this earth. Fight this! Lonely dog! Bow your head. Kneel and worship at the feet of Santanico Pandemonium! It's a memorable scene. It's a memorable... Well, I shouldn't just say the scene because this one is... So at least the last, what do you think, third of the movie is set in the bar. Oh, you know, I bet it's two-thirds of the movie is two set thirds? in the bar. Two-thirds, well, because yeah. they have to get there. Yeah. Obviously, they'd make, they're making the, uh, the trip. Yeah. And then once they get there... Uh, then things start to start to happen because yeah. uh, that's as you find out later. Those are the the hours of the bar exactly. from dusk till dawn. Exactly. There's a good reason for that. <laughs> there is a good reason for that. <laughs> and Santanico Pandemonium. That's, yes, that's a good name for a stripper. Yeah, that was taken from well, an old movie, right? Yeah, that was from 1975, Mexican horror movie. Yeah, it's kind of funny because normally Santanico, it would not be a female. Mm. But they don't change it. That's he right. definitely says. And if Danny Trejo says it, I'm going to believe it's true. I mean, I'm not going to challenge Danny Trejo. <laughs> exactly right. And that was from, yeah, it's a 1975. We haven't seen it. But apparently Tarantino had seen that uh, movie on the shelves of a video store that he worked in. Mm-hmm. Which is very famously, yes. most people know he worked in a video store. Originally, though, when he wrote it, uh, the uh, character's name was Blonde Death. But then uh, once once... Sama Hayek got involved, and he remembered that uh, that title of that movie. It's, it it worked well, and they actually the band that plays along as she's dancing that features Robert Rodriguez in the band. Oh, okay, and it also features Tito and the Tarantulas, right? Tito and the Tarantulas, yeah. very good. Thank you. Yeah, well, that's you know we were thinking the other day about a countdown of fictional bands. Oh, we were. That's a good one. That is a good one. That's a good one. But also, along with uh, Robert Rodriguez, the drummer for Oingo Boingo. Nice. Johnny Hernandez is in there, too. (laughs) And they've got a really cool, I mean, it's a cool song. Oh, I love that song. I love the guitar. I love that song. Very hypnotic, Mm -hmm. uh, very hypnotic instrumental. That's what you love about that scene. That is. That's that's (laughs) all all they really need. In fact, you can just turn away. You don't have to watch it at all. (laughs) 
But the whole bar, I mean, you know, they, they make great use of the entire bar of behind the bar itself, mm-hmm. of the back room, the stock room, you know, and then, of course, of what's beneath the building. Because uh, I have recurring dreams that take place in bars where I have worked. You know, it's usually it's <laughs> there's because more glassware to I'm wash. I'm still washing glassware, exactly. but but it's just funny the, the how often sort of a dream that I'm having is for one one reason or another set you know in one of these bars, and it's so funny to me the way he makes use of all of the space mm-hmm. for different action sequences. Explore the studio space. He explores space. the space, and he didn't have a choreographer. For, for the dance for Salma Hayek. He just told Robert... He's Rod- that a big-ass snake. <laughs> Robert Rodriguez just told her to feel the music and dance to it. He did the same thing with uh, Jessica Alba in Sin City. Just go for it. But yeah, that big-ass snake, and apparently Salma Hayek had a real fear of snakes, and she had to really go to... Spent two months, I guess, in therapy to overcome that fear to do that scene. That's insane. It is. But that's, that's a lot to put a person through. You think they couldn't just come up with a different prop? <laughs> just a fake one. Just set it there. But that is, that's a big-ass snake. It is a big-ass snake. And she's a little person, so it just, you know, it could easily have swallowed her. Also, one of the other things I love about this movie is the character of Earl McGraw, Michael Parks, the great Michael Parks. I love Michael Parks. He's killed in this film, but that doesn't matter. He comes back and Kill Bill, Death Proof, and Planet Terror, yeah. which is great. Of course. Because he... <laughs> Every character that he plays, especially in uh, Tarantino movies, is fantastic. Esteban. 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 I love Esteban. But yeah, this one is the titty twister and the exterior set for that bar. It actually burned down at one point, which caused incredible delays in the filming. And uh, Cheech had to get a new job, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, once once the dance commences and uh, then uh, things go haywire, things escalate quickly. They do. It just, it, it turns into so much fun. It does. With uh, Fred Williamson, of yes. course, and then Tom Savini. Oh, yeah. And the cro- the crotch gun. Yeah, the crotch gun. Of course, Harvey Keitel, I've, I've, I know I've mentioned this many times, but Harvey Keitel always reminds me of my dad, in particular this movie. He, mm-hmm. he looks so much like him. He's dressed like him. He works for the church. He drives a big-ass RV. He basically is my dad. And he dies, George! He dies in an ugly way, and it makes me sad every time. Yeah, yeah. Originally, too, as as bad as it gets in there, originally the fight scenes were longer and a lot gorier, and but were eventually cut and kind of toned down for rating and for pacing. But. You know, what's funny about that, though, is that that second half of the movie, which is very much Robert Rodriguez, mm-hmm. not the writing, but the, the direction, it's um it's not the kind of violence that really gets to you, but the violence in the first half of the movie yeah. back in Texas, oh. that'll stay with you. Especially um, Tarantino's character and that woman yes. that, uh, that yeah. uh, Clooney leaves him alone with. That yeah. was that. And John Hawks, everything. Yeah. That, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's yeah. a violent movie. It and is. people mostly only remember the fun half, you know. Yeah. But that first half in Texas, that's nasty. You're right. That's, nasty that's, that's really a lot more disturbing because oh, yeah. the second one takes on a little bit more of a. Not outright comical, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean. That, yeah. that just it's not as disturbing. No. It's, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you there. But uh, number two on our list of horrific bars, the Titty Twister, from dusk till dawn. 96. And before before we jump to number yeah. one, there is another movie. So we, we you know we we wound up here at the end with movies that are almost entirely set inside bars. And there's one. It just was. It's just not quite good enough of a film to make this list. But I, I want to mention anyway, which is Feast. Because it is a fun movie, and it is exclusively set, in, I mean, except for, like, a couple of exteriors. It, the whole movie takes place inside of a bar, and it is fun. I mean, it's, you know, it's very flippant, and it's got a, it's got a, its own tone and style. It's got a great cast, especially for a low-budget movie. It was one of those Project Greenlight 
films. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just thoroughly enjoyable. It's just not quite to the to the level of film. I mean, certainly it's not going to vie for one of these top three spots, but I just I didn't want to exclude it completely. Yeah, good enough, good enough. And before we get to number one as well, let's give a, a, a shout out to the Nightmares Film Festival, Woo-hoo! which is coming up fast, October 24th through 27th, of course, at the Gateway Film Center, our home away from home here in Columbus, Ohio. We've said it before, we'll say it again. I'm telling you, people, it is an incredible, incredible event. And just the fourth year now. Yeah. And it has risen to a plateau in film festivals, especially horror film festivals. That's really, uh, the growth has been just unprecedented. It really has. And if I, if you look at the, the lineup for this year, mm. I mean, it's stunning. It's breathtaking. We have so many, gr- The Lodge is going to be there. So many Swallow, great movies. Swallow, and, the- and then a bunch of films that probably people haven't heard of yet, right. like Reckoning, that oh. is just remarkable. I'm Cannot telling you. Cannot wait for people to see. Reckoning, not only one of the best films at this festival, but I think... For both of us, one of the best films we've seen this year. Yes, absolutely. I mean, period. Yeah. It's great, and the filmmakers are going to be here. Um, it's just a tremendous opportunity, not only to see these films, features and shorts, but to get together with the community of yep. horror fans and filmmakers yeah. and actors, and it's it's, it's just incredible. So, well, uh, and you... uh, our friend, so filmmaker Timothy Troy, who yeah. was who was there last year Met with the movie. Last year, yeah, yeah, he's going to be. He he let us know. He listens also. Hello, he let us know that he's going to be back out. So it'll be good to see him. But yeah, I mean, every year we get to see a lot of uh, familiar faces that we don't see otherwise, and it is such a great time, and it's such a great lineup. Yeah, and friends are reconnected with, and new friends are made, and we'd love, love, love to see you. They're all over social media. Nightmares Film Festival. If you need some more information, or you can just message us. We'll be happy to steer you in the right direction. But again, October 24th through 27th here in Columbus. So we'll move up to number one. And this is one where we, I don't think it was possible to find the actual name of this bar. No, it wasn't. We tried. Yes. But um, all the action happens because of a catalyst that took place in the green room from 2015. Gentlemen, you're trapped. <laughs> Things have gone south. It won't end well. You can't keep us here, man. We're not keeping you. You're just staying. Shoot who is left. Let him bleed. Get ready to run. Here we go. Careful now. This will be over soon, gentlemen. This is just a, a lean, mean, violent, bloody, well-paced horror film. Yeah, it really is. So it's Jeremy Sonier who had who had previously done Blue Ruin, Blue Ruin. which was great, not mm-hmm. horror. And before that, um, Murder Party, Murder Party, which is super fun. Yep. But this, to me, I mean, this was. I'm I'm sure we had it as the best horror film of that year. I mean, it's just it's just a visceral yeah. nightmare, and it's so smart, and uh, and it's very punk rock, which I love. And uh, and Patrick Stewart, yeah, who thought that was who was getting out of that van? Yeah, great. He's great, and everybody is, of course. Anton Yelkin. Oh yeah, yeah it's just another reminder that is is a real tragic passing. But and Emma Jean Poots, yep. is great in Ooh, it as well. Horrible haircut. Yeah, worst haircut ever. But. Uh, Anton is in band, the Ain't Rights, mm-hmm. and they end up taking this gig in a real skinhead type of hangout, and they witness something in the green room they shouldn't have. And then, as Patrick Stewart's character says, it's not going to end well. No. It's not going Boy, to end sure well. Boy, it sure doesn't. 
It doesn't, and it turns into a fight for their lives. And like I said, it's it's it's, it's lean and mean and clever. Mm-hmm. Takes a couple of nice nice plot turns, yeah, it does. and it just once it hits the gas, it just uh, it really goes for it. And Patrick Stewart's character is great, especially that conversation through the door. Oh yeah. And uh, originally, Sonia he filmed he filmed both actors, mm-hmm. but then j- because he wanted Patrick Stewart to you know emote like he is going to be on screen and then just took all that away and it's so effective it really all is all you hear oh my is god that and voice. that scene when that arm goes oh, oh my god so many bad decisions are made there <laughs> and the dogs <gasps> we are still have oh. to do the dog podcast coming up we got to remember this one because the oh those and that's dogs a little a little clever twist about the dogs that i love that mm. i won't spoil yeah. but uh, that involves the dogs yeah. that i love but you're right and it's it's one that patrick stewart we should say sir patrick stewart oh, by the okay. way uh, he said in an interview that when he finished reading the script, he was at his country home in England. <laughs> it was so terrifying, he locked up his house and turned on the security system and poured himself a scotch. <laughs> <laughs> he had to get over it. Oh, I love him. And also, I, I think you got to point out Megan Blair, who yes. plays a very similar role often, but he does it so well, and he does it so well in this movie. Yeah. Uh, is like he he's trying to be the reliable one, and yet, you know, he's not really mean enough for this gig, and he's not really making... Uh, and he's and then when he gets the red shoelaces, you're like, I don't know, Ooh, I know, I don't know. I thought he was just he was a he was a, a great counterpart to the the very sort of you know level headed authoritative Darcy Patrick Stewart's Darcy. Yeah, and we talked about the movies that Sonier had made before this, and one of the reasons he wanted to make it at this point in his career because he kind of felt he was on the up. And he didn't. He wasn't sure he'd be offered the chance to make a movie as ultra violent and as bleak as this. And he just wanted to go for it nice. while, while he really, while he could, uh, which was good instincts. Yeah. Well, I know that it came from an idea that he did for like one of those forty-eight hour film projects mm-hmm. that you know you just set the whole movie. But I think it was um, supernatural. Like you get, you know, you pull a card and it tells you. And then, but it was yeah. set in a green room, uh-huh. and uh, and that was the germ of it. And then later he was like, I'm just scrapped this whole thing because this is a great idea. Yeah. But you know, and it was. Yeah, it is. And that, the actual venue, which we couldn't figure out the name of. If if it's out there and we missed it, please let us know because we tried. But the venue in the film actually belongs to a man whose day job is building log homes. And uh, Saunier said he let us infest his property for several weeks building up the set. And that's where they found the home for the movie. Because it's it's out there. Yeah. I mean, unless they really did a good job making it look more secluded than it was, it really looks like a place that would be adopted by a group that doesn't want to be found. Right. Well, it's set in Oregon, and I believe it was filmed in Oregon, and uh, that it's, a, it's, the, it's funny. Oregon is such a funny state because it's also really a hotbed of, of liberal activity, but it's it's like the Klan's outpost. Mm. Uh, and so um, it, it's, it felt very—my brother lives out there. I'm not just randomly spouting <laughs> facts about the state of Oregon, but it does—it felt correct to me. And another thing I love about this movie is the poster because it does take you about two seconds oh, yeah. to realize that looks like the cover of London Calling yeah, by The Clash. And that was, <laughs> of course, very, very intended because of the punk rock uh, the punk rock connotation. So it's just, it's one of those that even though it is violent and got some scenes where you're like, oh, oh yeah. you just come out of it just, yeah! <laughs> you know, it, it, it yeah. was so much breakneck fun. It was, it was. Well, I'd assume, uh, fun is probably the wrong word, but it well, was, it was just of, so, like, so much adrenaline yeah. pumping through you while you watched it. Yeah. 
And a great ending. Yeah. As we talk about those desert island oh, yeah. bands and things like that. A great ending. And the, the, really the interplay between Imogene Poots and... She's uh, perfect. She really she is. She is so good in this. And every time you talk about that bad hair, she's one of those actors who can really change her look. Oh, yes, yeah. Because I've seen her in a lot of movies where I think I know the face. You go, now, who is that again? And then you find, oh, of course, it's Imogene Poots. For me, it's always that Sienna Miller. Yeah, her too. I never, ever, ever know it's her, ever. You always have to tell me that's Sienna Miller. Like, damn it! No, you're right. She's (laughs) she's very good at it, too. Uh, But uh, this one is all green room, and that... Yeah, she's very good at it, too. But Green Room is sitting at the top of our list of bar horror, horrific bars. We don't know the name of it. Again, if you know it, please let us know. Uh, Green Room's at the top. So other than that, uh, what did we miss? Well, I wanted to say thanks to uh, Night of the Living Daddy Man because he put together a list of he like he called from his Twitter followers the best Horror movie podcasts, and we made that list. All Fright right. Club Pod made that list. It's usually us making the list, and here's somebody else's, and, and we're glad that's right. to be on it. That's so right. thank you. Thank and also, you. we want to thank Jamie Ray, who, like uh, Pina Joe, has been <laughs> re listening, or maybe for the first time listening, from the beginning. The, from episode one forward. So hopefully he's up to the ones where we don't suck. <laughs> <laughs> Hope so. Hope so. Well, so yeah, let us know um, anything, any movies that we missed, not only the the name of the bar, if we did miss that, but uh, let us know your thoughts on this or uh, anything that we talked about. Always glad to hear from you. Easy way to get a hold of us to keep this conversation going is uh, on Twitter. We're at Fright Club Pod, or you can always find us on Facebook and Instagram. It is Mad Wolf Columbus or the main website where you can find um, this podcast, our written movie reviews, our other podcast that covers all types of movies that come out every week called The Screening Room. All that is on the main website at madwolf.com. And we thank you so much for stopping by the Fright Club. And wherever it is you happen to be listening, if you would take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review, we would be so happy. We sure would. And we'd love to see you, if you can, for the next Fright Club Live again. That is October the 9th. Yeah, going to be right back at Gateway Film Center, do a happy hour, do the podcast recording. Then we're going to watch Trained Busan as we uh, talk about vehicular horror. Mm-hmm. So that'll be the next time. So until then, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay frightful, my friends. Hi, Lloyd. A little slow tonight, isn't it? <laughs>